All right. Well, that was fantastic, guys. So it's always a pleasure to have you. Laurie Hughes, we love you. And uh, we love what you're doing with the corral. And uh, we appreciate the help that it's been to us today to kind of get into a more celebrative, festive uh, uh, way of being for this time of year. So we, we are uh, blessed to have you. Also, just want to say a word of thanks to all of you that were a part of the Living Nativity last night. Singers, band, uh, the characters, those that served hot cocoa. What a great outing it was last night. Thousands of people got to see something of the Nativity story through uh, scenes and uh, through song. So thank you so much for your service that you rendered to our community last night. And uh, if I haven't had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are pleased that you could uh, be worshiping with us today. And we are launching into a series of talks that have to do with getting at the heart of Christmas. Before we get to that, I need to just say one quick word to you about January 2012. Some of you have been aware that we are uh, promoting an effort for all of us together to read the Bible from cover to cover in the year 2012. And uh, we are going to be doing that a little bit uniquely. We're going to uh, be going through the Bible chronologically. And if you were not aware, uh, it's not already set up chronologically. So you can read some parts that are early in the book that have to do with late in the story. You can read things later in the book that have to do with early in the story. And so we are uniquely going to read the Bible through chronologically. And we have a reading plan that we're going to be giving to you a little bit later in the month so that uh, you can get at that. It's divided up into daily readings so that you can read six days a week, about 20 minutes a day, 52 weeks of the year, and you'll have gone through the entire Bible. Now, if that sounds too complicated, we have given you some tools to help you with that. And you need to know we are not in the book selling business but we have made some books available to you out in the lobby that can assist you. They are not necessary at all. You can have your favorite Bible. You can get the reading plan. You can follow what we're going to be doing all across the year, and you're in great shape. But if you'd like to have the chronological Bible called Reading God's Story, it's in one of the newer translations, the uh, Holman Christian Standard Version. And if you want to take it to another level and you want to understand more about how is the Bible written and what kind of literary types are found therein and so on, the second book, Reading the Bible for Life, is available to you. So those are going to be available as long as they last across the month. And if you'd like to get those, you can. You don't have to. It's not necessary. But uh, for those of you that would enjoy it, it's there for you. Okay, uh, let's say a word of prayer, and we're going to get into the heart of Christmas. So, God, you know where we are today. You know what we need. You know some of the stuff and even the craziness that's going on inside of us. So we pray that you would speak as only you can speak. Penetratingly, personally, into our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the heart of Christmas is celebration. And we get at that by looking at the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. And today we're especially looking at verse 10 that tells us by way of the angelic announcement, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. It's good news, and it's supposed to be the cause for great celebration. 
And as you may be aware, uh, it's not uniquely Christian to celebrate Christmas, nor is it uniquely to the United States. It happens all around the world in a variety of genres uh, based upon uh, people's culture. If we were to go to Argentina across the month of December, we would enjoy the weather a lot more probably than we do here because it's summer there. And even though it's warmer, they still will be decorating their homes and their houses in festive ways. And they love to dance to the Christmas songs of the season. And not only that, on Christmas Eve, they typically shoot off fireworks at midnight like we do on the 4th of July. So a little bit different than the way it happens here. If we were to go to China, we would find that since the country is 1% Christian, Very few people are real public about their celebration of Christmas. It mostly happens in their homes, very privately, not too much of a public to do about it. But because of the increased influx of Western culture that's happening all across China, especially in the major cities, you'll see uh, major commercial efforts happening across December where they are encouraging the purchasing of gifts and the giving of gifts. So that aspect of Christmas is happening there, even though not so much of the nativity story. And then if we were to go to Bethlehem in Israel at the birthplace where it all began and the coming of Christ, we would find something very unique happening there because uh, uh, traditions from all over the globe tend to congregate there. Catholics and Protestants and Greek Orthodox and Arminians and so on all would gather Various pilgrims gather there for the celebration of Christmas. And because we all celebrate it on a different day, it tends to be a really long, uh, protracted kind of thing. So uh, most Protestants and Westerners tend to celebrate Christmas December 25, right? But if you were Orthodox, you probably celebrate Christmas on January 6th. If you're Arminian, you probably celebrate Christmas on January 18th. And so you can imagine in Bethlehem, day after day after day after day of Christmas celebration. How are you going to celebrate? What are you going to celebrate? Somebody went to a nearby mall and began to do kind of a man-on-the-street interview What are you celebrating? And one person said, well, I'm going to celebrate that I just made it through the year. You ever feel that way? Someone else said, well, I'm going to celebrate that I got a Christmas bonus. Well, I didn't get a Christmas bonus. How about you? (laughs) Somebody else said, my son is coming home from Iraq, and I'm going to celebrate that. Well, that's pretty special. Someone else said, I'm celebrating. I just finished the shopping thing. How many of you love to shop? Yeah, I knew there were a couple of sick people in the room. (laughs) The rest of us, we just endure it. And uh, for those of you that love it, talk to me later. I'll let you help me with my shopping. (laughs) And then one person said, hey, I'm not celebrating. I'm just trying to survive. You know what? That is not that uncharacteristic for Christmas. That's pretty common. In fact, that was common to the first Christmas. You know the story. The government was kind of messing with people's lives. Not much has changed through all the years. 
And the gospel story tells us that the government, the Roman Empire, decided that they wanted to get better at taxing the people. They wanted more revenue, more efficiency, and so they were going to take a census. And in those days, to take a census meant you had to return to your town of origin, where your family originated from. And so Joseph's family, even though he was living in Nazareth, originated from Bethlehem, and so he had to travel to Bethlehem to be counted in the census, right? And so he went to be registered, and he took his betrothed, he took the woman to whom he was engaged to go with him, Mary. And uh, not only are they inconvenienced by having to go to another town to be counted, but uh, as you recall, Joseph is a carpenter. So while he's traveling, he's not doing any work. The guy's basically unemployed for these days or weeks, whatever it turned out to be, for him to go and be counted somewhere else. So he's got the government messing with him. He's unemployed. His betrothed is pregnant and near delivery. They show up in Bethlehem like a lot of other people have showed up in Bethlehem, and there's no place to stay. And meanwhile, the clock is ticking on the delivery, and and now it's time to deliver. Well, they deliver this baby... And this crazed king, Herod, discovers not only has a child been born, but a lot of people think he's the Messiah and he's going to be a king. And so he tries to kill Jesus. And thus, Joseph, Mary, and the child flee to Egypt. That that was a hard time. That was not a sentimental, nostalgic postcard kind of moment even though we've turned it into that kind of thing and it was into that kind of world it's into that kind of darkness it's into that kind of bustedness that's a part of humanity in this world that God intervened and invaded if you will our world by becoming one of us incarnated himself in the Christ child Well, it begs the question, so what's the good news in all of that? I I hear, it's good news, it's good news, celebrate it, celebrate it. What's the good news in that? Well, notice that the verse begins with the exhortation, fear not. It's a fearsome world in which we live. If you're a parent, it's a fearsome world to raise a child. If you've been unemployed for a while, or if you've got some kind of health crisis going on, or if you've got your family coming apart, or your marriage coming apart, it's a fearsome place to be. And yet God sends an angel into this world, beginning the message this way. Fear not. I am going to do something that will address the mess of this world. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. That good news is very personal. He says, I bring it to you. And not only that, it's extremely positive. He says that it's good news of a great joy. And it's news that is pervasive. It's for everyone. It's for all over the place. 
They go, well, I'm still not getting what's the good news. The good news is this. It's a dark, broken, busted, sin pervasive kind of world and place in which we live. And God is coming to heal. To restore. To rebuild. To renew. To save us from the dilemma that is this world. It's for you. It will be great. And it's for everyone. Now that is what the good news is. It may stir another question in you. Why? Why would God? Why would this almighty, all-knowing, creator God who oversees this globe of seven billion busted people give up glory, incarnate himself, live in this busted world, suffer a terrible death. Why? And that gets right at the heart of his character because he is love. One of the best known verses in all the Bible, John 3.16, says that God so loved the world, you and me, Not particularly the globe. He loved the people on the globe. He loves you so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. That's why. Now, you know what? All of us have moments where we are very lovable. Some of us have fewer of those moments than others. But all of us have moments where we are very lovable, very delightful. God loves you even in those other moments, your worst days, your worst weeks and months, however long being a busted you goes on. And not only that, the Bible tells us that he loves you with an everlasting love. You can't do anything. To make him stop loving you. I don't care how obnoxious you can be. How irritating. How unlovely you can be. He cannot and will not stop loving you. Everything in your life through the duration of your life will change. Except the love of God. Which remains constant from the beginning of your breath to your last breath. That's based in his character. It won't change. That's why there's good news. That's why he came. That's why we celebrate. Because he loved you. In fact, he loves you so much. The Bible tells us before he ever created the world, before he ever created the heavens and the earth, which means before you ever were conceived, he loved you. And that all creation came about so that he could provide a setting in which our lives could be sustained. This entire universe, all these planets, all these suns, all these solar systems, this particular globe that we're on, with all of its environmental uniqueness, is so that God can love you and know you and be known by you and have a relationship with you. That's the good news based upon His love. 
But that may raise another question for you. Okay. Then how in the world is this good news when I still have problems and pain? If God is like that, and if God is doing what you say that he's doing, why is life still so hard for me? Well, that continues the good news. We still live in a fallen world. We still live in a world that's racked by the disease of sin. Everybody has that disease. Everybody's dying of that disease. But he says, I'll be so at work in you through Jesus that I'll begin to deliver you from that disease. I'll begin to heal you from the sin disease so that you can have life forever with me. But meanwhile, while we're in this world, it's still a sick world. But the rest of the good news is, I will not waste any of your problems. You will not have any hardship that doesn't have purpose to it that's good ultimately that will make a difference that's a big that's way beyond the time that we have to fully unpack that but let me just illustrate it to you this way i have an acquaintance whose son got married his daughter-in-law then got pregnant and they were about to bring a grandchild into the world for this acquaintance of mine everybody's excited of course and as they get closer to the due date they're about six or seven weeks out from it And she begins to have distress in her pregnancy, right? And so upon examination, they find that the cord is wrapped around the baby's neck and the baby is suffocating and they have to do an emergency C-section. You've heard these things. Some of you have had this happen. And so they do the emergency C-section and it all goes well. They're able to get in, get the child, get the cord around from its neck and deliver the child. The child's well. The mom's well. But they discovered in the whole process, unrelated to the pregnancy at all, that the mom had a brain tumor. And the brain tumor was as such and positioned as such that if she had had a normal pregnancy with a normal delivery, when she came to the point of pushing for the delivery, she would have killed herself. It would, she would have died from that brain tumor. And so what appeared to be this awful problem, distressed pregnancy, cord around the neck, child is suffocating, let's do emergency surgery. What appeared to be an awful problem was actually God at work in protective, providing kinds of ways. And, and let me just say, friends, that's just kind of like one story where you get to kind of see behind the curtain to see what's going on in the unseen world. And that thing is replicated millions and billions of times over in your life. You just don't ever get a glimpse behind the curtain. You don't know what God's doing in the midst of your problems. You go, oh, but it's hard. I'm tired of it. I wish he'd stop. I wish he'd pull the plug on it. He's still at work. There's still something positive and powerful and good that he's going to do with your hard times. Because he's that redemptive kind of God. So, it's kind of encapsulated in one of the songs that we like to sing at this time of the year. 
And we tend to think about old little town of Bethlehem as just this sweet little sentimental journey. And you kind of picture the nativity and the manger and the, 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 the animals are kind of like Disney-like all around. And the shepherds are all clean and, and bathed and they're not smelly. And, you know, everything's just postcard, right? But you come to this phrase in the song, O little town of Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and the fears all come together right there in Jesus. Because He's the only one that can and has addressed it and taken care of it. Do you believe that? This kind of leads us all to a decision. You see, every time God begins to disclose himself, reveal something of himself and his purposes and his plans, it always then results in a responsibility for us. He shows us something, then we have responsibility. What are we going to do with that? He has showed you today. I love you. Here's good news. I've given you Jesus. He can deliver you from the sin disease that is deadly so that you can have life today and forever. Will you believe that and will you receive that into your life? You know what? If you and I this season exchanged Christmas gifts, I gave you a gift, you gave me a gift. And we didn't see each other for a few weeks. And a few weeks down the road into 2012, you came up to me and you said with some excitement in your voice, so what did you think about my gift? Did you like my gift? And if I were to say to you, oh, you know, I haven't even unwrapped that yet. I kind of forgot about that. I'll have to take a look at it when I get home. You would be insulted. And I would have missed a great blessing of whatever your gift was. God has given us a gift. Have you unwrapped it? Are you experiencing it? Are you knowing the blessing that Jesus is? You say, well, how do I even get at that? How do I approach that idea of unwrapping the gift of God in Jesus? Three things. One, admit Admit that you're a sinner who needs a Savior. If you have any question at all about whether you are a sinner or not, speak to somebody in your family. (laughs) They will clarify that for you. Admit it. Okay, I'm busted. I need some deliverance. I need some help beyond myself. And I believe that Jesus is that Savior. I believe that Jesus is the one that sacrificially died on a cross to pay the penalty of my sin. And I believe by what he did, I can be forgiven and I can have life forever. And then would you confess that? Now, to confess means I agree. So if I confess Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, then I'm agreeing with God and I'm agreeing with all of heaven. Yes, I'm busted. 
Yes, I'm a sinner needing a Savior. Yes, I believe that Jesus is that Savior. I submit and give my life to you for your saving of me. Now, it just may be that you're recognizing in this moment our little gathering in a warehouse on the backside of Redmond has been a divine appointment. God knew you would be here. God sought to reveal himself more fully to you in these moments. And you have a very legitimate decision to make right now. I want to pray for you and pray with you. So let me encourage you. Let me invite you. Why don't you just bow your head for a moment? Maybe close your eyes. Whatever helps you to think and focus. And perhaps you're at a place where you say, you know, I believe it. I want to receive it. And so why don't you pray this prayer with me? You do it silently within your own heart. God, I know I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I believe Jesus is the Savior. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you heal me from my brokenness? Would you give me life today and forever? I commit to follow you. And we pray in the name that is worthy, Jesus. Amen.